welcome friends you're listening to the feeling is musical as presented by the stomach county music project my name is erica lee and today we chat with maven gumbel about gender affirming voice work a new music therapy method they developed maven is a master's level board certified music therapist pursuing licensure as a professional counselor they engage in psychotherapy music therapy and gender affirming voice work services through their private practice becoming through sound maven is committed to engaging in clinical work that is grounded in systems based resource oriented trauma informed and social justice perspectives Well, welcome even to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I am glad that you're here also. <laughs> um, so let's just start right off the bat, the usual question. How did you originally become interested in music therapy? What is your story? Yeah, so I actually started off pursuing music education and gender studies before realizing I don't really want to be, you know, doing music with and being in music with people in that way. Um, ended up taking an intro to music therapy course as well, uh, at the same time as a feminist research methods course. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which led me to exploring feminist music therapy, which led me to Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, ended up, you know, transferring there to study with Susan Hadley and Nicole Hanna and loved it and didn't leave, (laughs) um, stayed, stayed there for my master's too. And yeah, so that's that's kind of where I ended up. And so I've had the honor to read some of your writing. And so I know a little bit more about your story than maybe some of our listeners do. Um, but in the process of your master's work or your graduate work, to me, it read like you kind of stumbled into um, gender <laughs> affirming voice work. It wasn't something you set out to do, but something you discovered along the way. Yes. Can you tell us? Um, especially for listeners that maybe have no idea what I'm talking about. What is gender affirming voice work? Can you give us a brief introduction? Yeah. So um, in my, in the midst of my graduate work realized or came into my gender, I guess I should say um, as a non-binary trans person, it was like, I have a complicated relationship with my voice, ended up wanting to explore my own voice. Um, which led to, you know, my thesis being what it was of exploring what would gender affirming voice work look like in a music therapy space. And from there, it's just been kind of exploring that as I start to work with clients and kind of continuing to engage in this work and continuing to learn. I think it's hard to really find a solid definition of it, partly because I want to avoid that, (laughs) Um, but also because I think the work can look really different depending on what people are wanting to get out of it and what experiences they're coming with and also their level of musicianship um, that kind of changes the, you know, the work that we do. But I think the one thing that I have gotten pretty consistent with saying is that it's about supporting folks with accessing and embodying a more affirming voice, um, specifically through music um, and through singing. And um, depending on a person's goals, those could be like accessing that affirming voice and staying within the music space if they're wanting to work on their singing voice and or kind of shifting from that singing space back into speech, holding on to some of those qualities if they're wanting to work with that. So 
It can look a little different depending on what folks are wanting, um, but I the one of the big pieces is kind of leaning into that liminal space between song and speech. That's where we kind of work with things and try to merge and not have this disconnect between speaking and, and song. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about it going between this like singing and speech part of your voice, how you describe like the multidisciplinary connections within the voice work and um, music therapy and speech language pathology? Yeah. Well, one, I do talk with folks about how I'm not a speech language pathologist. I'm not a voice therapist, like holding those boundaries, um, which I've kind of run up against myself of like, I can't do this work. I'm not trained in that. I'm like, no, slow down. I am a musician. I am a uh, trained vocalist. I am a trained music therapist. And I am a person who is has lived experience as a non-binary trans person. And I've also thought a lot about my own voice and gender, so I can slow down. But I, I presented at that and also kind of say that I work within my frame of or my scope of practice. So mm-hmm. I've had folks say, I'm not necessarily as interested in the music piece. And I'm like, I, I think I have to refer you to a speech language pathologist. Like we find something through your singing voice and through toning, through these different music experiences to get to a space you want to be. And then from there, maintain that quality of sound or that pitch or whatever it is back into speech. But I I often say that it kind of, uh, a session could be a lot of different things. Um, It might be what you might experience in like a music singing lesson. It also might be what you might experience if you were to go to a speech voice therapy kind of session um, to a certain extent, not really, but kind of. And then it also might be what you experience in like a music therapy session specifically with like vocal psychotherapy or like, Mm. like the mental health side of things. Um, And that's because this work can dive into, you know, different ways of working, depending on what a person's needing. Like, for example, a lot of the folks I work with end up coming to me wanting to do more vocal function work. So kind of the way they're physically using their voice and shifting that, um, particularly around gendered aspects of sound or, you know, working to, you know, maybe they already had a pretty strong um, singing voice and they're wanting to get back into that, um, but they were on testosterone and um, that's really impacted the way they're able to use their voice. So it might be like trying to relearn their voice in a way. Mm. So like I said, the work can look really different in that capacity. Um, And it also could be you know, folks coming in for more like psychotherapeutic kind of stuff. Um, Although again, most of my folks do come wanting to do more kind of vocal function based work, but some folks do want to come in wanting to explore, you know, their relationship with their voice and their body, their sense of embodiment with their voice, their um, relationship with their voice, their ability to use their voice in relationship to other people without like shutting down or like getting small or like tightening up or like, Mm -hmm. um, those are like the two extremes, but I firmly believe that they both come into the work regardless of where, you know, a person starts. Um, just because I, um, the voice is so personal. I, I can speak for like my experience of being in a voice lesson. And like, there's been times I've cried in the middle of a voice lesson because like it, you just can so easily get into the emotions there. And so I, I, um, I don't know. I think there's within this work, we can kind of step into both. So Um, you had mentioned the gendered aspects of sound. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how can uh, gender affirming voice work support the disruption of how gender is understood? Yeah, um, I love this question a lot. (laughs) Um, 
because uh, it made me think about a lot of different things in terms of gender, but also in terms of like voice disrupting ideas around gender and voice disrupting disrupting ideas around voice too. So I think in some ways this work focuses on both, you know, conforming to gender norms in a lot of ways for some for like folks if you know they're wanting or needing, you know, for safety things to pass, to quote pass um, as the gender they identify as if they're able to do that. I mean, as me as a non-binary trans person, that's not something I think I'm ever going to run into, but I would love to have a world that that's the case, but yeah, I've been working with folks who, um, you know, as trans women or trans femme folks, um, they've been navigating really, really strong internalized cisgenderism or cissexism and heterosexism um, of like wanting to access this higher part of their voice. Um, But there's been so much internalized messaging about, you know, the gay male voice and in quotes, the gay male voice um, and the stigma around using those voice. I mean, like I know many people who have been labeled lots of really derogatory names for using that voice. And so although many of the folks, many of my trans femme folks that I work with, like they want to step into that space and we like butt up against this just internalized stuff of like feeling ridiculous. But then when we access that space, they're like, yeah, I want that. And then it's just like this internal conflict that we just need to kind of sit in and like kind of try and unpack a little bit. And I was thinking about that with like, how do we disrupt gender? Like we're disrupting it internally. And then by using our voice in other spaces, whenever we find that voice, you know, we're disrupting those systems of like, you have to listen to me use this voice. Like, um, yeah. So I'm thinking about that. I'm also thinking about how, um, and I butt up against this personally of like, this work is not just for trans and non-binary folks. Mm. It's for cis folks too. Um, and there's an article by Randy Rolfjord and Jill Halstead that talks about um, work with presumably a cis woman. They don't name her as trans, so she's probably cis. Um, but in that work, this this woman had a really low speaking and singing voice, um, was dealing with depression and anxiety related to her voice and tried to change her voice wasn't really getting anywhere and like this was in a music therapy space of using music to kind of support a relationship with that I'm like this is not just for trans and non-binary folks again this is presumably a cis woman likely it is a cis woman if it's not explicitly mentioned which that's a problem but anyway (laughs) um but like yeah so I've had to kind of unpack my own assumptions like this work can disrupt ideas around like cis experience of of gender. Uh, You were talking about the breadth of what voice work can look like and what that means for the person that is coming to you. And um, it was reminding me of the the importance of the relationship that you're cultivating with Mm -hmm. that person. Because you're dealing with the voice, which is very personal to a person, and then you're dealing with their gender identity and probably the intersection of other identities that are coming with Mm -hmm. that person, that that is just increasing the level of trust and safety that needs to be felt in that quote unquote space, because we're virtual space looks different than it does usually. But, and so I was wondering, how does the recognition of your intersectional identities then contribute to building that trust within your therapeutic relationship? Yeah. Um, Well, first, I think 
Well, I, I should say I work all, all of the folks that I work with are trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming. So I will say that I have not stepped into working with cis folks, although I would thoroughly love that. I think that would be a real joy. Um, but what I've noticed, I think, is this the aspect of shared identity. It's just, I don't know. Well, I, it can't guarantee safety because we all mess up in our own way. And we have obviously intersections that come into play that mm-hmm. you know, we don't all come from the exact same lived experience. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like that the, the, the sense of shared identity helps to foster a relationship and to be able to like be a little bit more vulnerable. Although again, I can't speak from, you know, the other piece of that, of like not having that shared relationship. But um, I have noticed though, that there, you know, with with folks who have pretty similar lived experience as me, I do have to like really call into question, am I making assumptions about, you know, what they want to do with their voice or like, if they, you know, know how to use their voice in the way that I'm assuming, or um, that I have just to really call in, into question my own assumptions around their experience. Um, but this is making me think of like the collaborative part of this work. And I don't know if this feels connected to this and I'm, I'm hoping that it makes sense. <laughs> um, so I've really strived to be collaborative in the way we define what our goals are mm-hmm. in that like, it's not, um, okay, you want to feminize your voice. If somebody says that to me, I'm like, okay, well, what does that really mean to you? And not just saying, okay, I know from the literature I've read, I've known from the things that I've learned that that usually means raising your pitch. It usually means shifting your resonance a little bit. It usually means changing some of the inflection and the way that you're using your voice. But like, from what I've seen, it, it, it comes across as like taking a person from one box and just forcing them into another box of like, this is what it means to do this. Mm. When like, that doesn't feel um, queer to me. That doesn't feel like it's embracing the complexity of like, maybe a person doesn't really want to change their pitch and they're just wanting to shift the resonance or maybe they're wanting to change their pitch, but they don't really care if it's a chest voice or a head voice. Yeah, so I, I really try to embrace this like collaborative space um, and also this space that like challenges the um, like the power dynamic of like I'm the expert and I'm creating some kind of change in you. I really engage in this work in a resource oriented way of like we are not changing your voice. We're accessing something that's already there for, for vocal function focused work specifically, but like um Like, um, oh my goodness, Lisa Sokolov, um, she uses this metaphor of the house, which I have borrowed um, and tweaked a little bit, but I I really, I really enjoy it. Um, She talks about the voice as a house and um, I've been talking about it within voice work of like, we might live in the living room of our house for a lot, for most of our lives. And now we're trying to explore the basement, my particular favorite place, <laughs> like going down to the basement or going up into the attic or going to the second floor, or going out in the living room or, um, doing, doing that kind of stuff. So, um, the work isn't about changing something. It's about accessing something that's already there that we just might not have the tools to kind of get there yet or the resources to get there. So I, um, it's about giving people those tools and those resources so that they can navigate wherever they want within their house Mm. Um, and about building versatility. So it's not me like imposing this voice onto them. I feel like I got a little bit away from your question, but it feels so wrapped up in like power and privilege and like 
yeah, my role within that. And like, I'm not the one changing you. You're the one you have the resources. I just have my resources that I'm kind of bringing in and know about the voice in a collaborative way. I really like, and really understand that metaphor you're using. I really appreciate that. I, I feel like every starts my question is I'm curious, uh, but I am curious because we know that trauma is stored in the nervous system mm-hmm. and the voice being so personal in your body being the instrument. What is the relationship between that and the voice work you're doing? Does having trauma stored in your body present challenges then to accessing voice work? Yeah. So I firmly believe that everyone who comes in to work with me is dealing with gender trauma at the very least, like mm-hmm. add on other things. Um, whether you're, I mean, again, I'm not working with cis folks, but whether you're cis, trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, we're all dealing with gender expectations and um, have had to just navigate those and, and, and to kind of figure out um, our own gender and identity and kind of what things we want to or not want to, what things we're able to hold on to Mm -hmm. um, and fit in with the world. (laughs) Um, And I think that is inherently traumatic. And what I've seen in like the work that I'm doing with folks is because the voice is so, it's so wrapped up in the body. Um, I start off with some kind of body warm up um, and voice warm up to kind of just get into our bodies a little bit. And that sometimes is hard for folks, myself included. Like when I was doing this, I like avoided doing that part of this just because I think it's really uncomfortable. This is not to say that all trans and non-binary folks have difficult relationships with their bodies. Some don't, and that's, that's a completely valid experience. And I, the majority of folks that I'm working with are dealing with, you know, some kind of trauma, um, but the voice itself, like using your voice in front of somebody else, that is, can be a traumatic thing too, of like, I don't know. It just brings up a lot, especially if, you know, sometimes I think dysphoria itself is trauma. So like we're, we're working with that inherently in in this work of just being able to kind of explore your voice a little bit and feel good about your voice to a certain extent or comfortable enough to like dive into this work, but it it does present obstacles and um, that gets into the, the holistic piece of like how we can step into so many aspects (laughs) of this you know, of this work of like working on vocal function. And then all of a sudden we're dealing with anxiety and, you know, in the same experience, we'll go from like working on breath support or something to, okay, continue to work with your breath, but like, don't voice anymore. Just work with your breath and like try and Mm -hmm. regulate yourself, you know, so that we're still in the experience and we're not like, okay, all of a sudden it's done and we can't stay in it. But um, yeah, it's definitely there. It definitely comes up in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. My mind kind of imagines maybe in several years, like 10, 20 years from now, that this method that's developing sets a foundation where that has some like transferable principles or um, just the methodology. You could splice it and add it to a little bit of something else that's happening in music therapy, particularly because the voice is the body. And there's just so many people in the world that have body issues that are not related to gender necessarily, or they don't know it's related to gender, or there's a whole long, long list. Um, And so that comfortability between them, like voice and body, and then how body impacts a whole bunch of different things and 
we just did an episode about eating disorders. Mm. And so that's where my mind like is immediately going right now is like, well, that has like, I feel like it has some application or bits and pieces that could be borrowed. And um, that's not really a question that can be answered right now, but it's just a curiosity that I have for, for later down the road. Yes. I see that so much. Our bodies are our identities in many ways, you know, so mm-hmm. any, like we, we can work with anything in that capacity. And, um, is it, it's also, that I haven't talked about this piece of like, sometimes I'm working with folks with pairing a particular way of holding your body with a sound so that when you're moving about the world and you can like quote, step into that, um, way of holding yourself that you've connected that already with a way of using your voice. So it's like, it's there already. So I've, uh, there's just so much there. I feel like around the body, body aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you kind of like mentioned this super, super briefly a little bit ago, but I want to come back to it. The idea of how voice work and like queering work together. Um, and how does voice work queer the process of listening? And then what can we learn from voice work about how to listen more radically? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a thread throughout all of this. Like in a nutshell, like queer listening is about thinking about, um, particularly the voice, but I think this can apply to many aspects of identity and kind of like what we were just talking about with bodies. Like, I think it's relevant to a lot of other things, um, but specifically with the voice, like it's about paying attention and really, really close attention to where you are with your voice. Um, and I use that through uh, Sana Storm's core tone that she's talked about of, of kind of like, where's your voice in this moment? Like, mm, I, I don't know if you hear it. Mm, I'm kind of like right here. Mm, mm. Like, where's your voice? Um, and like, is that where you want to be? Is that kind of where you want your your home to be the, the part of that house that we were talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of unsettling that to kind of get to where you want to be. And also... Oh goodness. This brings up, it's, it's also the piece of like leaning into what feels good, but also trying to find some appreciation for the things that don't feel good. Mm. What does listening radically like mean to you? Like, what does that phrase mean? Listening radically to me means um, my voice, regardless of how I voice is how I identify. If I were to use a higher part of my voice, higher pitch, higher resonance, that is still (laughs) non-binary for some of the trans femme, trans women who come in to see me, um, their voice is feminine, even if they're singing low, even if they're (laughs) in this rich resonance that, that to me, that's what listening radically and, and listening with a queer process is. It's not presuming or assuming or labeling a sound as one inherent thing, but like knowing that you can voice in whatever way and it feels good. And there's also nothing wrong with wanting to conform to like social norms for either, you know, that's what feels good for you and that's where you want to be, or there's a safety piece. Um, I wish other people would listen radically as I think <laughs> what I'm getting at with that. Yeah. Cool. Um, just in wrapping up, cause we're coming to the end of our time. What have you learned in your process that you would want to offer to others? Yeah. um, 
Well, first I would say that while I feel confident in supporting other people, I'm still very much learning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like I'm still stepping into that and trying to kind of parse my way through what does it mean to support folks in this work and to, um, just hold the complexities of people's experience and not get stuck in these, like I'm doing psychotherapeutic focused work versus I'm doing vocal function work, but like really holding the complexity of, of our experiences and not, not shifting those out. Um, but I feel like what I would want people to most know is that, um, I think it's so important to engage in this work on a personal level to some extent Mm. before doing it in your own, especially if you're cis. I think it's important that trans non-binary gender non-conforming folks do that too. I think it's particularly important with cis folks. And I've, I've talked to some, some peers, Braden Inman and, and Katie Schockner, who are, we're doing a research project together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've talked specifically about like cis people supporting trans non-binary folks in this work and just the tensions and the ideas of like, I don't know, if you're not willing to explore your own voice and gender, I think you could cause a lot of damage through, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like really colonialist in my mind. I was <laughs> just like kind of coming in and like trying to fix people's voice. And so I, w- I would love to work with cis people. I feel like cis people should be engaged in this work. Mm. So yeah, that's the th- thing I most want people to know is just like, please engage in this work in some capacity before just jumping in. Where can people find you? Where are you at? So my website is becomingthroughsound.com. Um, and then my Insta and Facebook are both um, at Becoming Through Sound. So thanks so much, Maven, for doing this. I really appreciate it. All of your experience and wisdom and collective learning. It's great. Oh, thank you. If you'd like to know more about the music project, please visit our website at ssnsamcsnsamcatmusicproject.org. On our website, you can also find transcripts for every podcast episode. We encourage you to connect with us on social media at SC Music Project. Never miss notifications for new episodes and other projects. Thank you, Maven, for being here today. Thank you, listeners, for listening, and we will talk to you next time. 